Some of you that have been here in Papasana Santa Cruz probably have noticed this um, anatomical chart of the body. And um, I leave it here because I teach a class on the body, 32 parts of the body meditation. And tonight I'd like to talk about this a little bit. Saraha says that um, within my body are all the sacred places of the world and the most profound pilgrimage I can ever make is within my own body. The most profound pilgrimage I can ever make is within my own body. I think this pilgrimage speaks to who are we? Who really are we? It's a very powerful question to ask ourselves. Who are we? The world will have us uh, believe or try to make us believe that it's, it's all very normal out here. When you think about these biological organisms, these human beings and living beings, here we are living on this planet, spinning around the sun, motorcycling around the sun. (laughs) In this universe, like, we enter into much more of a deeper mystery. Who are we? Yet we know a few things. We know that what takes birth eventually dies. And that we cannot escape from the processes of aging and illness, death. We cannot escape from difficulties from time to time, uncertainties, times the lack of control over things. Who really are we? Tonight we'll um, maybe talk about this body, this mind. One of the things that we first realize when we begin to practice meditation is just how unsettled our mind is. Buddhist monk Bhante Gunaratama He writes that uh, somewhere in this process of meditation you will come face to face with a sudden realization. And that is that you are completely crazy. (laughs) That your mind is a shrinking madhouse on wheels barreling down the hill utterly out of control and hopeless. No problem, he says. You're not any crazier than you were yesterday. It's always been this way, but perhaps we just haven't noticed
Dhammapada speaks about in the very first lines of the Dhammapada that this mind, the mind is the creator of our own heavens, the forerunner of our own mind states. This mind is the creator of our own heavens and our own hells through our own thoughts. This mind is how we perceive the world and at times in our unawareness begin to habitualize around it and just another reading that I find very interesting by Margaret Wheatley says that I know what we notice I know that we notice what we notice because of who we are we create ourselves by what we choose to notice and once this work of self-authorship has begun we inhabit the world we've created. We self-seal. We don't notice anything except those things that confirm what we already think about who we already are. When we succeed in moving outside of our normal processes of self-reference and can look upon ourselves with self-awareness, then we have a chance at changing. We break the seal. We notice something new. The sense of self-sealing due to our habitual patterns, how we see and hold things, we develop very strong ways of responding to various situations. And if our unawareness continues, we continue to just live in a place of uh, patterns, patterns that may or may not serve us. It's a wonderful quote by Patricia Nelson about autobiography in five short chapters and it goes chapter one you're walking down the street there's a deep hole on the sidewalk and you fall in and you're helpless and it takes a long time but you finally do get out and chapter two you walk down that same street there's a deep hole on the sidewalk and you fall in again and you know where you are and it's your fault and you get out very quickly in chapter three you're walking down the same street there's a deep hole on the sidewalk and you fall in again it's a habit you know this is kind of what I do <laughs> Many of us get caught in chapter 3. In chapter 4, as we begin to develop more mindfulness, or as Viktor Frankl once said, that between the stimulus and the response, there is a space, and in that space lies our freedom. In chapter 4, you're walking down that same street, there's a deep hole on the sidewalk, and you walk around the hole. Chapter 5, you walk down another street. The potentialities of beginning to change the courses of our destiny lies in awareness, in being present, in the recognition of perhaps the impulse to react in an old conditioned way, but seeing now that there's a space between that stimulus and response beginning to choose differently. <coughs> this is the power and the freedom of mindfulness in that it can shift the course of our own destiny with awareness we can change our practice of mindfulness is a way of life and it often can be reflected in two areas a formal practice and informal practice formal practice we come together like tonight other times sitting in community practicing <coughs> mindfulness 
noticing the changing landscape that interacts with our senses, visual impressions, smells, tastes, sounds, body sensations, mind states, all in a state of change. But being present to what's here, and this of course can be applied in our everyday life, whether we're sleeping, eating, sitting on the toilet, showering, talking with someone, washing dishes, folding laundry, every one of these activities of our day-to-day life can also become of our mindfulness practice, bringing our awareness into daily life. In this way, we begin to recognize perhaps some of the impulses and habitual reactions to things and can begin to make changes. Often the only thing that imprisons us is our own mind. I was reminded once of a very uh, beautiful story that a former uh, student of our Vipassana Santa Cruz, Deborah, once shared with us about these cows that live in pastures. And farmers like to keep their cows in the pastures. And they're very strong animals and very easy. They could knock over fences. And so they put electric fences up and when the cows get zapped a few times, they learn to not go near the fences. Farmers being very economical, seeing that the cows are no longer even going close to the fence because they don't want to get shocked, shut off the electric power. And the only thing that actually at that point that is actually keeping the cows literally inside the pasture, the corral, is their own mind. Many of us do the, do the constrictions of our own awareness we become imprisoned by our own thoughts, our own reactions to things. Our challenge is to go outside of the box, to see things differently, to become present, to begin to recognize that perhaps the ways that we are seeing things is not serving our health and our well-being. I'm reminded of a true story that I heard from a friend that heard it from a, that read about this uh, in a World War II history book about a pilot that was commissioned by, I mean actually a pilot that was on an, uh, a flight on an enemy mission out in the South Pacific during World War II uh, enemy gunfire put bullet holes in the hydraulic fluid reservoir of the plane and this pilot was in big trouble because Hydraulic fluid reservoir was the fluid that was needed to put down the landing gear. Couldn't get the landing gear down because all the fluid had drained out of the plane from the bullet holes. So the pilot made it back to close to the airport and was circling around the airport and trying to figure out how he was to get this airplane down. You're in big trouble. Well, the pilot was freaking out about this and also, though, just trying to calling himself like there's got to be something that can be done something that can be done here and got his mind quiet and in that moment of some quiet thought arose said huh and instructed his soldiers from that thought to close up all of the holes whether they had tape or stuffed uniforms and plug in the holes except for the largest hole and the pilot realized um, that there was no fluid on the plane, and what are they going to do? And realized that there was one fluid, <laughs> and that was urine. <laughs> and told all the soldiers to pee into the hydraulic fluid reservoir. 
Well, there was a lot of guys on that plane. There was a lot of pee, and yep, they filled up the hydraulic reservoir. Mm -hmm. Now, if you instructed an aeronautical manual, urine is not the designated fluid. It's, it's uh, other fluid, of course, hydraulic fluid. But there wasn't any. Something had to be done. And with this ingenuity, the pilot got the plane down. And I was telling the story one day in the Santa Cruz Medical Foundation in our mindfulness-based stress reduction classes. We sometimes use this story as a, an important point of perception of how we see things and going outside of the box. And an older man came up to me who was actually a friend of mine. His name is Frank. And um, I was good friends also with her daughter. And Frank said to me, Bob, I can't believe you told that story. And I go, yeah, Frank. I, again, I heard it from a, a friend of mine that read in a World War II history book. And do you know anything about this? And he said, do I know anything about this? I was the pilot of that plane. <laughs> now, speaking of a needle in the cosmic haystack of the universe, what would be the odds of that happening? Don't know. And he went on to say there's more to that story. And I said, oh? And he said, yeah, well, the hydraulic fluid also controlled the brakes. And I knew I was going to get one hit of the brakes, but there's so much power per square inch, that urine was going to go flying all over the place. <laughs> and how am I going to stop this plane? And again, he said he kind of freaked out, and then he got himself quiet. And then he, another idea arose, and, and when he applied those brakes, he had told all the soldiers to open up all the windows, doors, break windows if you need to, and open up every single parachute on the plane. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's how they got that plane to stop. Uh -huh. Frank uh, recently died a couple months ago. Homage to Frank. He lives on. And this powerful story speaks to the possibilities of the importance of presence and awareness and being able to recognize that there may be other ways of seeing and doing things. Maybe other possibilities. In this room, there's you know, approximately 30 of us here, and there's 30 different ways of seeing this room. There's any number of possibilities and more. Part of our practice here is to begin to become aware of what's present and to open our perspective. We get stuck between door number one, door number two type of thinking. We sometimes can't see beyond that. This quality of being present enables us to see more clearly. Now, in reference to the 32 parts of the body, this is a particular practice that seems so ordinary. It's being a practice of being with different body parts. Part of this practice is to really begin to penetrate the true nature of the body. And the 32 parts of the body meditation has its place in Buddhist meditation practices. Many of us here, some of us here are familiar with the four foundations of mindfulness are the Sati, Mahasatipatthana Sutta. The sutta, the discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness. And essentially, these four foundations, foundations have to do with one, with the body, and two, with its sensations, the feelings, physical. Mind states, it's the third. And the fourth is dharmas, working with certain aspects of the practice, such as the hindrances, seven factors of enlightenment, the aggregates, the sixfold sense spaces, the four noble truths, 
In the section of the body, which is what I want to talk about tonight, there's six distinct practices in the mindfulness of the body. And the Buddha's first instructions in meditation, as we look at the sutta, is instructions upon the body. The very first instructions is to become mindful of the breath. And it expands to be mindful of what postures that we're in. Standing, sitting, lying, walking. Expanding to our mindfulness in our everyday life. Bringing mindfulness to the different activities of day-to-day living. The fourth is bringing mindfulness to the body, to the 32 parts of the body. The fifth teaching is bringing mindfulness to the elements within the body, that within this body, this body is comprised and made up of solidity, liquidity, motion, temperature. I'm actually going to be doing a day-long on the four elements meditation um, in February, so you want to look out for that if you're interested. And the last practice is the practice of the mindfulness of death. And particularly in this practice, there is nine uh, various visualizations on nine different uh, decomposing stages of a corpse, beginning with the body on the first day of death and ending with the body turning into dust. Very powerful practice. And for those of you that were joined me in September, we last September we did a mindfulness of death practice in one of our local cemeteries, Santa Cruz Memorial and Chapel, over by Ocean Street Extension. And the owners of the cemetery are very gracious in supporting us in practice and uh, they have uh, they will allow us to come annually every year to do practices there and we're in the chapel doing day long on the mindfulness of death and so look out for that one in the fall very powerful practice to work with the mindfulness of death but this practice of the mindfulness of the body is to begin to recognize that we actually do have a body I'm reminded of um, in the far side, I wish I had a big picture of this. There's a picture of some cows sitting out in a pasture eating grass. This is what cows do. They sit in pastures and they eat grass day in and day out their whole lives. Except this one day, this one cow has this powerful insight, this powerful epiphany. And this cow is telling the other cows, hey, wait a minute, we're eating grass. We're eating grass. We're really eating grass. <laughs> like, no shit, Sherlock. You eat grass like your whole life. But like, uh, like there's this moment of like powerful awakening. I'm eating grass. <laughs> now, in the same way, we have a body. We have a body. We have a body. And sometimes we think that um, we're living somewhere a little bit away from our body and actually James uh, Joyce in the book The Dubliners has a beautiful statement uh, in a sense about a a character in the book his name is Mr. Duffy and it was said of him quote unquote that Mr. Duffy happened to live a short distance away from his body (laughs) and I think we all can relate to at times being Mr. and Miss Duffy and living somehow some short distance away from the body and it's only until perhaps we get an ache or a pain that oh this body oh I don't like this of course, this body has all these receptors for pleasure, too, and we like that, but we don't like the receptors for displeasure. But we do have a body. 
And this particular practice of the 32 parts of the body is a very powerful practice to land and get into the body. My teacher, Tanku Lucero, was uh, um, really into the practice of the 32 parts of the body meditation. And he had learned this from his teachers and passed this on to us, his students. This was more than 25 years ago where I practiced uh, this um, in the monasteries. And this practice kind of stayed with me dormant for many years, though not always too far away because when we teach mindfulness-based stress reduction, the very first meditation that we teach people is the body scan, which is a methodical practice beginning with the left foot and working our way up part by part through the body. And so 32 parts of the body... um, we can say that was, was the original body scan. But in the last few years, I have had growing renewal and deep interest and passion for this particular practice that is really, in many ways, virtually unknown for, in, for Western meditators. Many of the meditators know, they know about the mindfulness of breathing and body sensations and <clears throat> mind states, but very few Westerners have actually had deeper and have had any experiences with the 32 parts of the body or the four elements meditation or the nine decomposing <coughs> stages of a corpse mindfulness of death meditation and I feel like um, I really want to help uh, to bring these practices into more aliveness because I found in my own particular practice it has enriched and deepened my practice immensely these last uh, last year I actually gave my very first uh, class with the 32 parts of the body and the way that Tungkulu Sero taught it was that it actually goes for 33 weeks. It's a long practice. And this year I'm also offering it again and we're about a quarter of the way through. I'll be doing it again next year as well. The 32 parts of the body is this very powerful practice of beginning to bring our awareness into the body And in particular, this body is composed in the 32 parts of 20 solid parts and 12 liquid parts. Now, we have to understand that that there's much more than 32 parts of the body and why were certain parts omitted, really can't say. When we look into the suttas and the the commentaries, there's not a lot of... There's no explanation on why these parts. And I think we could say that part of this was uh, that this human anatomy was what was... uh, pertinent to um, nearly 2,600 years ago during the times of the Buddha and their knowledge of anatomy. And why they are in the particular order that they're in, we really can't say either. But one thing that I will say is that the first five, I think, are the five parts of the body that we normally see when we look at people. Head, hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin. And when we think about that, head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin, the cosmetic industry, <laughs> each year, people spend billions of dollars on head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, and skin. And we spend a lot of time in the mirror fussing over our head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin. And this practice of the 32 parts of the body begins to in some ways, begins to penetrate a little bit deeper 
from that surface area of head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin, kind of like beginning to lift up the hood to begin to really see its true nature. Now, for example, head hair. A thread like, this is from medical texts. That actually, Bruce actually helped edit, and thank you very much, with uh, some other physician friends as well. But head hair, a thread-like outgrowth from the skin of mammals, a thin, flexible shaft of hardened cells. These are constantly shedding and replaced by new hairs. The function of head hair to keep the top of the head protected and for temperature regulation and also protection from ultraviolet light. The color, blonde, brown, gray, red, black, white, <laughs> so forth. Body hair, similar, except it's in the, you know, on the body. Nails. A horny cell structure of the outer skin layer forming flat plates on the fingers and toes. Average growth, one milliliter per week. Protection, this function protection from sensitive skin areas, useful for cutting and picking up things. Teeth. 32 bony projections in the jaws serving as organs of chewing. Every individual has two complete sets of teeth during the life cycle. First set of teeth are the primary, and they're lost by the age of 14 and replaced by permanent teeth. In children, there's 20 primary, and in adults, 32 permanent teeth. The function to break down food, to cut, to chew, tear like a pestle and mortar, and so forth. The skin, the organ that forms the outer surface of the body. Think of all your creams. There are over 4 million pores in the skin. In one square inch of skin, there lies 4 yards of nerve fibers, 1,300 nerve cells, 100 sweat glands, 3 yards of blood vessels. Now listen to this one. Humans shed about 600,000 particles of skin every hour. (laughs) We've been here an hour and 15 minutes. (laughs) What is 30 times 600,000? A lot, 900,000. No, more than that, 9 million. Anyways, um, humans shed about 600 particles of skin every hour, about a pound and a half a year. And believe this one, most dust particles in your house are made from your dead skin and your family's dead skin. So it goes on and on. Skin, head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin. In this particular practice, there is a method. And the method is what's called the sevenfold skill of learning, that very important part of this practice is actually chanting, which is not something <coughs> that a lot of us in Vipassana practice do, is a lot of chanting. But there's a certain chant that we use to chant these body parts. And once we begin to say it out loud, then we need to know it mentally, silently. And then as we work with each part, we need to know its color, its shape, its location, its direction, and what it's bordered by, its delimitation. We begin to penetrate into the body. Now these body parts, 20 solid and 12 liquid, are to be meditated upon week after week after week. I mentioned that it was a 33-week-long practice. 33 weeks in that First week, we work on the first five parts of the body, head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin. The next week, we do it in the reverse order, skin, teeth, nails, body, hair, head, hair. The third week, the forward and backwards, head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin, skin, teeth, nails, body, hair, head, hair. 
Then when we complete that, we go on to the next grouping, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, five, one week forward, one week backwards, one week forward and backwards. And then we start back in the third week, starting back with head, hair, body, hair, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bone marrow, kidneys, one week forward, one week backwards, one week forward and backwards. It goes on and on and on. Now, Tumpalusero and also some of the suttas, they talked a little bit about some of the benefits of this practice, and I'd like to just maybe name a few of them. The most important benefit of this practice, and this practice, let me just take a step back again, is that it is one of these unique practices that can be an insight practice or a concentration practice. And sometimes people use various the colors of the body and use those as a as a like an absorption and can develop deep levels of jhana or deep absorptions. But it also can be used in the way that I like to teach this practice is that it's an insight practice. It's based on um, discovering the true nature of of uh, of who we are or who we're not. <laughs> and so one of the most profound benefits of this practice is is the eradication of the erroneous view of self, of I, me, and my. Is my self found in the head hair, the body hair, the nails, teeth, skin, the flesh, sinews, bone, marrow, kidneys, so forth. Where is this I, me, and my? It also, though, can be used as a meditation for healing, and there's been numerous accounts of people working with this practice that have actually um, felt that, they, that it helped heal them from diseases, and I had a, a, a friend who had lung cancer that was given under one year prognosis to live, and she particularly practiced the 32 parts of the body to work with her lungs, and particularly the, the section that had the lungs inside there, which was heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs. And she used to send a postcard to her oncologist once a year, and this lasted for about six years till eventually she did pass away from the return of her cancer, but she felt very convinced that this practice was what was prolonging her life, and she truly did have an under one year prognosis. Other benefits they talk about with this practice is that practicing the third due process of the body, that we can become the conquerors of boredom and delight. We can become the conquerors of fear and dread. We'll be one that will be able to bear heat and cold much easier. We'll be able to amass deep concentration, will be intelligent, attains jhana, attains nibbana. Tankulusero just called this meditation as uh, one of the, see, let me see, I have his words, it says that this meditation is one of the most eminent of all of the satipatthanas. The meditation on the, bo- on the body is unlike any other kind of meditation. It is brought to light and taught only in the times when the Buddhas arise. So the 32 parts of the body, I'd like to maybe recite these parts so that you, you've been hearing this, but what are they? So I know that I've recited the first 12. So it's head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, large intestines, small intestines, stomach, feces, brain. Very interesting place for the feces, right next to the brain. (laughs) No coincidence there. (laughs) Now the 12 liquid parts, bile, phlegm, pus, blood, sweat, fat, 
tears, grease, saliva, mucus, oil of the joints, and urine. These parts of the body to be meditated upon, knowing the color, the shape, the location, the direction, the delimitation. Until we can begin to see the body in its true nature. Many of us become aware of this true nature and become, if you will, less uh, adorned by it or less disenchanted. Often in some of the texts, this meditation is described as an asuba or an atuba practice, which means a meditation practice on the repulsive. And this is kind of a very strong language, particularly for us Americans that have, many of us have a negation towards our bodies in the first place. And so I have um, actually consulting some uh, monastics and non-monastics about this, feel that perhaps a, a, a more useful rendering is to begin to penetrate into the true nature of the body. And of course, at times we begin to experience a little bit less of its enchantment, have an experience of becoming a little bit more disenchanted with this head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, and skin. And when you think about it, even though we love head hair, body hair, nails, teeth, skin, we certainly wouldn't want it in our soup. <laughs> and so there is, in some ways, we could say a little bit of a repulsive, you know, like, yeah, head hair is really fine, but all of a sudden I'm chewing my tofu sandwich, and all of a sudden I get a big wad of hair in there. It's like, well, I, I don't know whether I would like that or not. <coughs> So let's do a little bit of practice. We just have a few minutes left here. If we had time, I'd, I'd say, let's all chant this, but I think um, <coughs> it's not enough time. There's a short chant, chant which takes 10 minutes, and the longer one takes 45. But for now, let's just chant out loud just the first five parts. Head here, body here, nails, teeth, skin. 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 Now reverse. Skin, teeth, nails, body here, head here. 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 Now let's just center our awareness on top of our heads, head here. I mentioned earlier thread-like outgrowths from the skin of mammals, thin flexible shaft of hardened cells, constantly shedding and replaced by new hairs. Function of the head here to Keep the top of the head protected and temperature regulation, protection from ultraviolet light. Focusing on the color of your hair, 
blonde, brown, gray, white, red, black. Shaped like a lawn of grass. Direction it's above the waist, location at the top of the head. The delimitation bordered by the face, the back of the neck, and space. Just sensing into head here. Just touching upon the head here for briefly and shifting to body here. Again, these thread-like outgrowths from the skin of mammals. The various colors of the body here, both above and below the waist, location all over the body. So many hairs, pubic hairs, underarm hairs, arm, leg hairs, chest hairs, facial hairs, anal hairs, toe hairs. So many different places of hair. Body hair. fingernails and toenails, shifting to the nails, horny cell structures of the outer skin layer forming flat plates on the fingers and toes, protection of sensitive skin areas, the color mostly clear, shaped like fish scales, direction above and below the waist, location in the fingers and toes. Shifting to the teeth, these 32 bony projections composed of shapes of incisors, canines, premolars, molars, used for cutting, chewing, tearing, breaking down of food, rooted in the gums and the mouth, teeth. and the skin. The organ that forms the outer surface of the body. It's said that every square inch of the human body, the skin has an average of 32 million bacteria living on it. Its function shields the body against infection, dehydration, injuries, parasites, temperature changes. Provides sensory information about the environment. It manufactures vitamin D, excretes salts and small amounts of urea. Skin color can be black, brown, yellow, red, white. Skin. 
So there's some more facts about the human body to be contemplated upon. That we humans spend about a third of our lives in the body sleeping. Every person has a unique tongue print. There's enough iron in the human body to make one small nail. A cough releases an explosive charge of air that moves up to 60 miles per hour. Sneezes can travel over 100 miles per hour. It takes 17 muscles to smile and 43 to frown. It takes approximately 200,000 frowns to create one permanent brow line. So look out. <laughs> Most people blink about 25 times a minute, about 20,000 times a day. Every breath we inhale, billions of atoms that end up as heart cells, kidney cells, brain cells, etc. The average adult is made up of about 100 trillion cells. If you unwound and joined the DNA from the genes of the cells, it would fit in an ice cube, but the string would stretch for 80 billion miles, and that is from the Earth to the Sun and back again 400 times. The body gives birth to 100 billion red cells every day. The body makes a new stomach lining every five days, makes a new liver every six weeks. The body replaces new head hair two to five years, except for people like me. The body replaces new eyebrows that consists around 450 hairs every three to five months. The body grows new skin once a month. The body replaces a new skeleton every seven years. 50,000 of the cells in your body will die and be replaced with new cells all while you listen to this sentence. Radioactive isotope studies show that the body replaces 98% of its atoms in less than one year. So, in other words, at any given moment, the parts of the body are appearing and disappearing because they are atoms. So if you think you are your physical body, which body are you talking about? The body you have today is not the same as yesterday. And I'll just end with a poem from Wendy Yen, who's um, taking the 32 parts of the body at the Zen Center with Catherine, and and she created her own uh, little thing here called the 110 Functions of the Body. And there can be more. Inhaling, exhaling, smelling, coughing, sniffing, sneezing, hungering, thirsting, licking, sucking, tasting, biting, chewing, salivating, spitting, lubricating, swallowing, belching, hiccuping, vomiting, (laughs) transporting, digesting, selecting, absorbing, storing, burning, building, copying, creating, destroying, cramping, flatulating, defecating, (laughs) pumping, distributing, filtering, excreting, holding, urinating, listening, seeing, blinking, dilating, crying, speaking, humming, singing, screaming, whispering, smiling, frowning, laughing, upholding, anchoring, Proceptive, sitting, standing, balancing, walking, running, jumping, dancing, hugging, tensing, relaxing, contracting, stretching, trembling, enclosing, excluding, warming, shivering, cooling, sweating, itching, scratching, shedding, moving, touching, feeling, engorging, climaxing, sleeping, snoring, dreaming, waking, menstruating, conceiving, bearing, birthing, sucking, growing, Fatiguing, breaking, aching, ailing, paining, fevering, 
replenishing, cleansing, hosting, engulfing, killing, collecting, repairing, clotting, blocking, swelling, dying, decaying. Eighty functions of the mind, she writes, attending, ignoring, concentrating, alarming, irritating, exciting, perceiving, recognizing, relating, remembering, forgetting, understanding, confusing, planning, organizing, explaining, defining, listing, measuring, evaluating, penetrating, deducing, predicting, pretending, inquiring, calculating, reading, learning, teaching, fearing, hating, judging, bragging, praising, disagreeing, distorting, misrepresenting, anging, blaming, resenting, concealing, attacking, justifying, apologizing, reconcealing, revenging, desiring, grooming, adorning, attracting, grasping, stealing, suffering, respecting, disclosing, sympathizing, cooperating, giving, supporting, loving, joking, teasing, grieving, believing, doubting, questioning, meditating, hoping, worshiping, praying, repenting, despairing, rejoicing, honoring, vowing, thanking, imagining, exploring, inventing, playing. We can add more. Thank you very much. Now it's our time to end, but if there's any, if anyone needs to go, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.